All right, we are in John chapter 18, verse 15, and now we're going to see Peter denying the Lord. It's a painful area, a painful part of Scripture. Uh, And one of the overriding lessons here, and that's the point, and I spoke to a brother about this this morning, uh, is this. When you think you are strong, you are not. When you think that you can uh, uh, fight off temptation on your own, you cannot. Uh, And you see this with Peter, someone who would be one of the great leaders of the Christian church, one of the great leaders of the disciples, failed Jesus at a moment when Jesus needed him. Uh, And the reason was that he was not near Jesus. He did not pray. And so this is what happens. This is why we have to constantly be in a state of grace, praying that the Lord continues to connect with us. uh, And you see what happens when you do not. So turn to 18, Gospel of John 18, beginning with verse 15. Simon Peter and another disciple, and that other disciple, by the way, is John. He's very humble. He doesn't name himself, but it is John. And another disciple were following Jesus. Because this disciple was known to the high priest, that is John, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back, spoke to the girl on duty there, and brought Peter in, that is, into the courtyard. You are not one of his disciples, are you? The girl at the door asked Peter. He replied, I am not. It was cold, and the servants and officials stood around a fire they had made to keep warm. Peter was also standing with them, warming himself. Now look at verse 25. As Simon Peter stood warming himself, he was asked again, You are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him, Didn't I see you with him uh, in the olive grove? Again, Peter denied it, and at that moment, a rooster began to crow. There's another uh, part of scripture which says in that last denial that he actually cursed and blasphemed in order to prove that he was not part of Jesus' disciples. And so you see, here's what happens. You cut yourself off from Jesus. You disassociate yourself from Jesus. Uh, You effectively take a vacation from God, and this is what happens. You're saved, and by the way, this does not mean that his salvation was in jeopardy. It it means that his ministry was cut off, his ability to be effective and being used by God was cut off, uh, and we know that there will be a restoration uh, uh, when when Jesus uh, is resurrected. He will restore Peter. So there are two important lessons to be learned from Peter's temptation. One is from the first psalm. Uh, and you know Psalm 1. We might as well take a look at that just so we connect with it and you, you can use it again. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. Uh, or as it says in the King James, a scornful. Meaning what? Blessed is he who disassociates himself from effectively becoming one of the ungodly. Look, and none of this affects the lessons that I've been teaching you on Monday about how you have to go out into the world and associate with people in the world so that you can bring them into church. We're not talking about association here. We are talking about adapting and adopting their lifestyle. You understand the difference? Uh, And so when you cut yourself off, when you cut yourself off from Jesus, you cut yourself off from God, uh, 
you, you, you fall into this first Psalm. And so this is effectively uh, walking in the counsel of the ungodly and standing in the way of sinners and sitting in the seat of the mockers. This describes Peter at this moment in life right there. Uh, Peter, like the chaff, was certainly to be blown about by the temptation that came to him while he warmed himself at the fire in the high priest's house. Why do I say that? Around the fire were people that hated Jesus. They were evildoers. They hated Jesus. And now he's there with them, and he wants to, uh, as he say, when in Rome, right? Act like a Roman? Well, he's acting like a Roman, all right? And here's the danger. That's what you can never do as a Christian. You can never do that. So yes, we love the uh, unlovable. We love those who are, are not godly. We love them. We want to bring them in. But at the same time, we do not adopt their lifestyles. We do not adopt their lifestyles. And so Peter, like the chaff separated from the wheat, is about to be blown apart uh, by this temptation. Uh, And so here's the thing. While Jesus was on dangerous ground, and he certainly was, uh, uh, and Peter certainly paid the price of being there, Jesus had prayed to God constantly, and it was that connection to God that lifted Jesus up. Jesus had asked Peter to pray, and you remember that Peter did not pray, all right? He had fallen asleep. Not only did he not pray, but when Jesus came to be arrested, Peter acted the way someone in the world would act. He took his sword and chopped off the ear of the servant to the high priest. Not what you would expect someone who had spent three years with Jesus. Uh, And all of that was because Peter had not been praying, had not been in communication with God. He was in bad company with people who hated Jesus. Um, And so uh, you you get an insight into this about the prophecy of Christ concerning Peter, and that's in Luke's gospel. Let's look at that, Luke 22, because Christ had foretold that this was going to happen. Luke 22, verse 31. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. And by the way, let me, let me comment on that. What does that mean? It means that, that Satan has no power on his own. All right? So uh, clearly, and we know this from the book of Job, that, that God puts hedges of protection around us. And from time to time, based on the will of God, and we don't understand it, the sovereignty of God, somehow God allows that hedge to, to come down somewhat. And this is something we'll never truly understand. But if God does it, it is within God's will and his sovereignty for a greater purpose, for a greater purpose to show us needs in our lives, defects in our lives, the fact that we need to come closer to, to God. And certainly this was the case with, with, with Peter. Simon Siner, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brother. So there's the point. Jesus is praying for us. He's praying for us that there's a restorative process going on. Yes, I knew that you were going to fail. I knew you were going to fall, but I'm praying that your faith will not fail you. Meaning what? This is a lesson from God demonstrating that your faith needs to be linked in permanently to Jesus. Don't ever think you have come become a perfect work. I've got it. I understand it now. 
I am ready to go home. I'm ready to be called home. I am, a, I am a perfect Christian. Oh, gosh, don't go there. I spoke to a good person this week uh, who told me that, 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 that he did something that he was ashamed that he had done, that he had thought he would never do that again uh, and because he had drawn closer to God. And I said, here's the thing. God loves you. God forgives you. But you got to recognize that unless you stay in a constant state of communion and prayer, the old flesh will come up. You're still carrying it around. Things you're going to do are going to be fallback. It doesn't mean you are not saved. All right, please. You're saved. It just means that you're going to fall. And here's the perfect example of that fall. Uh, And so you see that. Uh, And so I want to continue to read this here. Uh, I prayed for you that your faith may not fail. But he replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. There it is. There's the words of a guy uh, who is filled with some degree of arrogance uh, and overconfidence, not recognizing who we are fighting with. We are fighting against the prince of this world. You are fighting against evil. Don't ever underestimate the authority and power of Satan. Okay? Don't ever underestimate it. Uh, And Jesus answered, Uh, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times that you know me. Imagine that. The same day, within 24 hours, you're going to deny me three times. Uh, Then Jesus asked him, uh, I I mean, we'll we'll, we'll skip those verses. But the point of it was that you see this this lesson, understanding how important it is that that you see uh, how Peter is going to fall. He's going to fail. He's going to, he's going to uh, make a huge mistake and deny Christ in an incredible way. And so you need to see this. Uh, while I'm on this, I want you to turn uh, to Luke chapter 16. Matthew 16. Please forgive me. Matthew 16, uh, verse 16. Simon Peter answered. Now remember, this is the same guy who is going to deny Jesus. Now look what he says through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Joseph, for this was not not revealed to you by man, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. uh, And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now I wanted to make sure I, I clear this with you so that you understand this. So here is Peter. He has denied Jesus. He has failed because he is a mere human being. God would not establish his church foundationally on a human being because human beings fail. You got that? And when he said you are uh, on this rock, you need to understand something that the word Peter, the name Peter in Greek meant rock. How about that? The name Peter in Greek meant rock. And so what Jesus was, was saying at that time is Peter uh, uh, you are a rock. You are not the keystone rock, but you are a rock. Uh, and upon this rock, I am establishing this church. Now he's not establishing the church on the rock of Peter. And I'll prove that to you because I want you, and this is important as you see Peter denying God. I want you to see this. Look at Ephesians chapter two. And look, we respect other denominations, all right, uh, who, who look at this differently. But this, is, frankly, is a foundational 
principle. I cannot allow this to go on or you to be misinformed on this. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. Well, we'll start with 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. You got it? The chief cornerstone. Underline it. Put a star next to it. That is the chief cornerstone. Yes, the apostles were part of a foundation. Clearly they were. And Peter's name was Rock, but it was not foundational rock. It was not cornerstone rock. God would only place his church on the son of God. All right. And look in verse 21 there. In him, Jesus, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a, a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit through the cornerstone of Jesus Christ, the rock. All right, the rock. Look also at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And I'm doing this because I want you to understand that, yes, human beings fall. Yes, we fail. Uh, and, and Peter will be restored. But our church is never built on a human being. And this also goes, if, if you're in a church and you have a great pastor, or you have a great Bible teacher, you have a great leader, or you have a great evangelist, you admire them, but you don't worship them. You understand? We don't get involved in cult of personality. That's important. We don't get involved in cult of personality. We don't lift somebody else up all right, and admire them so much so uh, when it detracts from Jesus Christ. There's, there are no spiritual or religious elites in the kingdom of God. There's Jesus and there's everybody else. You understand? Even to the extent that we're called, even if God has given me a gift to preach and to teach, it doesn't place me in any superior position to you. None. I am still uh, uh, submitting to God that he may have given me a gift and called me. And so you understand this. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and I do this because we see Peter, and we, we understand that Peter will become a great leader in the church. He will be a leader amongst the disciples. He will give his life, but yet he denied Jesus. All right? And Jesus will call him again and restore him. You'll see that. But I wanted to make sure I, we, we, we underscored this issue. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. And they drank, this is what we'll start for, right, right, verse 10, we'll start from verse 1. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud, and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and at the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. That Rock was Christ going back 1,500 years as they crossed the desert and they came to a spot where they had no water. And I want you to turn there. Look at Exodus chapter 17, verse 4. The people now have no water. They're ready to stone Moses. What's new? Verse four, then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. 
Verse 5, the Lord answered Moses, walk on ahead of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with you, which you struck the Nile, and go, I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb, underline that, strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel, and they called the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? And so the water came from the rock. The rock was Jesus. The rock was Christ. And we know later, later, when they needed water again, uh, and, uh, and Moses in anger, God told Moses, you speak to the rock now. You don't strike the rock. Now, why would God say to Moses, you don't strike the rock? Because you have to understand this spiritually. Because Christ was crucified once and for all. All right? The striking of the rock was effectively the symbolism and typology of the crucifixion. The second time, you don't strike the rock again because Jesus has been crucified once and for all. Now you speak to the rock or effectively pray to the rock. And so here's the point, folks. He is the rock. He is the cornerstone. There is no other rock. There are stones, and you are stones, and the, the apostles and disciples were stones, all stones within building the temple of God. But there is only one cornerstone. There is only one rock. Uh, and so you see this and come to understand this. And, 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 and in this passage in Corinthians, it's one of the first times that you will hear the mention of the word church, church. Uh, and so we underscore this uh, church. Uh, look also, if you would, at Isaiah 28, Isaiah 28, chapter 16. He is the rock and yes, Peter would be used, but, but Peter is a man. He would deny the Lord. He is a man. Isaiah 28, 28, verse 16. This is 800 years before Christ would be born. So this is what the sovereign Lord says. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who trusts will never be dismayed. Look, this is the last lesson for this summer. I want to drill this home. Jesus Christ is that stone. He is that cornerstone. There are no men or women who are the cornerstones. We are all bricks, lively bricks, lively smaller stones and pieces in the overall arching temple of God. But there's only one cornerstone. Look also at Zechariah chapter 10. Don't you like this when I beat something to death? <laughs> this is what I did in court. <laughs> made me very popular. Zechariah chapter 10 from verse 4. From Judah will come the cornerstone. From him the tent peg. From him the battle bow. With from him every ruler. There it is again. Now turn, if you would, to Acts chapter 4. All right, that's right. Uh-oh, that's right. Uh-oh is right. Acts chapter 4. Now, of all people, we're going to hear our brother Peter. All right? Verse 8, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, and this is after they, they healed the cripple, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple, 
and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is, and now he quotes, he quotes the very verses that I just gave you. And so Peter, who some people thinks, think is the rock, is now going to tell you, no, I'm not the rock. I'm not the rock. He's the rock. Look at what he says. Who stands before you. He is, quote, the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone, meaning the very cornerstone. Uh, and that's a citation to scripture, Psalm 11. Uh, 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 and you see and you see that there. And so what an incredible says. You see what he's speaking about? It's Jesus. Verse 12. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no one other name, no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. So let's make it clear. Let's make it clear. Peter was a great apostle. He was a great disciple. He was called mightily of God. He is one of the first century giants advancing the cause of Christ. Yes, he's human. Yes, he's just like us. Yes, he can fail. Yes, he will deny Jesus. But Jesus prays for him, and he is restored, and we're going to see that. And so what can we say in defense of, of, of Peter? What can we say? Well, one thing we can say is that he followed Jesus during this period, uh, along with only one other disciples. The rest of them split. So it's he and John following him. But uh, the problem here is that he followed at a distance, all right, he followed at a distance and he quickly joined forces with people who were ungodly and chose to show them that he wasn't part of the work of God. All right, that's where he failed. A second commendable characteristic, and he's clearly a brave man. I mean, we see that when these, these throng of soldiers came to arrest Jesus and he tried to defend Jesus and made a mistake. Uh, and so you see this. So clearly he's got bravery, he's got courage. Uh, but he trusts too, too much in his own gifts and talents and thinks he is greater than he is. And that's the lesson for you. We are never greater than we think we are. And in fact, at that moment, when you think that you are at your weakest, when you think this is good, I've got it. I will never fail you. Oh, God, Lord, forgive me. Father, forgive me. I don't recognize that unless I'm in you, I'm tethered to you, that I've submitted to you, that I will not be able to follow you, that I'm going to be dragged down. I'm going to fall, and I'm going to need restoration. Uh, and so you see this, uh, and it's so important. And so uh, he, he, this is why he failed. He failed because he didn't pray when Jesus told him to pray in the garden. He didn't stay close to Jesus during this period of time. He drifted away from Jesus. And all of this tells you that unless we are in Christ continuously, we will fail. Turn to John chapter 15. John 15. Verse five, I am the vine, Jesus says. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire or burned. Now, look, this does not mean you'll lose your salvation. Don't go there. All right. 
You're, you're taking verses out of context. But what it means is when you go your own way, even when you're saved, when you think you don't need, you could take a vacation from God, you don't have to be connected on a continual basis to God. You don't have to be in communion and prayer and Bible study. You are at your weakest point because all of a sudden that vine is separated from the branch. And when you are separated from the branch, bad things happen. Okay? Bad things happen. Uh, and not that you're going to lose your salvation, but you're not going to be able to be used by God. You will fall into temptation. Your faith is going to fail you. And when your faith fails you, you're going to be dragged down even more. Uh, but God will restore you. God will pray for you. God will lift you up. And so you understand this. Uh, look, one of the mistakes that Peter made here was a cultural mistake. What do I mean by that? It means he was affiliating himself with ungodly people who were in the world who hated Jesus. Now, it becomes a cultural mistake, meaning what? And this is where you need to have discernment because God wants us to be in the world. God wants us to attract those people who are lost and bring them to Christ, but we never engage in their lifestyles. Can you make that discerning choice? Meaning we love them. We bring them to church. We bring them to Christ. We pray for them, but we don't engage in the activities that we know are, are uh, uh, disgraceful to God. All right? We don't do that. We love them. Uh, and the old statement is made, we love the sinner. We don't love the sin. You know, that's the point of this. Well, Peter got engaged culturally with these people. He wanted to show them, hey, I'm in Rome, man. I'm cool. I'm like you. Jesus, who's he? I mean, can you imagine doing this? Yeah, who's he? Who's Jesus? Well, the thing is, he was afraid. He was afraid, but here was another disciple. You don't see him being writing about himself. It was John, who was inside the high priest's house, who was right there, who the high priest knew John, and John would stand at the cross of Christ right there with his mother, with Jesus' mother. He would stand there. Why? Because John continued to be in communion throughout this time, all right? And Jesus looks at John as he hangs from the cross, and he said, uh, behold your mother. Uh, mother, behold your son, meaning I am, I am giving my mother to you. I am asking you, John, to take care of your, my mother. And John would do that. Mary would live with John for the remainder of her life uh, and, and in John's house in Ephesus. And so you see this. And so this, this is an important, important message for us. Uh, and so you, you really need to understand this. And so uh, Peter will be restored. Peter will come back. Peter will, will be recommissioned from God. Uh, and and, I, and, and to, in order to understand this, you know, you have to understand that Jesus, at, again, at the end, uh, before he will ascend into heaven, will be with Peter uh, and will cook breakfast for the disciples and will look at Peter and tell him three times, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. Meaning what? Peter, I love you. I am calling you to greater service now. You fell. You know what it's like to fall. You're human. You're going to now service people who will have the same defects, the same deficits in their life. Lift them up. Show them what it means to be a Christian. Show them that, yes, we fall. God doesn't throw us out of heaven because we fall. All right? That's not our God. He doesn't fall, throw us out of heaven. He loves us and prays for us and restores us. Yes, are we weak? Yes. 
Yes, do we have defects? Yes. Yes, will we deny the Lord at times? Unfortunately, yes. But God will never abandon you. Stick together this summer. Stick in communion. Stick in Bible prayer. You take no vacation from God. Amen? Amen. I'll see you September 2nd. Lord Jesus, let's pray. Father, we thank you for, for your words. We thank you for the lesson that you've given us. Lord, I ask you that it resonate in our heart this week, that it grows in every way, that we understand what it means to be tied to the vine, that while we are with you, in communion with you, in prayer with you, Lord, that we are sustained, but that we cannot take a vacation from you, that we have to be with you constantly. I ask you, Father, to protect our dear people. Be with them this entire summer. Bless those who will take over this class and, and give them wisdom and insight as well, Lord. And protect us all until we can meet each other again. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. God bless you.